0: I never grow tired of singing the Christmas songs and hearing read the Christmas story, especially from Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 2. And especially when you understand exactly who we are singing about and reading about God's Son, Jesus Christ, the Christ child who was born to save us from our sins the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so what a, what a privilege it is to, again, gather here this morning and be reminded and focus our hearts and minds on that person, Jesus Christ. And so on this Christmas day, what I want to do is simply draw your attention to the timeless hope of Jesus Christ that is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 where the Apostle Paul simply writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Most scholars believe that this was a Christian hymn Or a creed, and perhaps even both, that the early church either sang or spoke about Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why you see it set off in poetry form in your Bibles. And in the English Standard Version, it is actually even organized into two different stanzas composed of three lines each. You can even hear the rhythm in English. When Paul writes, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, since this was an early Christian hymn or creed, and, and more than likely both, and since Paul states here in verse 16 at the very beginning that it's a mystery that we confess That's exactly what I would like for us to do here this morning. I want us to confess this creed or this hymn together out loud. And so, church, what do we believe about Jesus Christ beginning here when it says He? Fall along on the screen and say this with me. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, Believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What a beautiful creed. A beautiful hymn that summarizes the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the very first stanza here, we have this description of Christ's completed work for humanity. It talks about his incarnation and then his resurrection, and then finally his ascension. And and in the second stanza, we have this response to the work of Jesus Christ for us. There's this preaching of Christ to all the world, and then we see that there is faith in this Messiah, Savior. And finally, there is glory to Jesus Christ. These are the essential truths that that we believe in, with our heart, that we confess with our mouth about Jesus Christ. And and all this morning, I certainly hope that these truths are at the center of your Christmas celebration. Notice again how Paul begins this confession in verse 16. He writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now in the New Testament, this Word mystery doesn't mean what we typically mean by this word mystery when we use it. When we think of mystery, we think it's something that is elusive or something that's baffling, something might be even confusing, and and now it needs to be solved for us. But mystery in the New Testament refers to something which is hidden, but now has been revealed for us to see. So don't think of something that is somehow unsolved and and now we need Sherlock Holmes to help us or Scooby-Doo to help us solve this mystery. Instead, think of something that was long hidden and has now been revealed or, or made visible by God. And it's interesting what Paul says about this mystery. He calls it the mystery of godliness which is Paul's way of referring to Jesus Christ here. In other words, Jesus Christ is is the mystery of godliness who has now been revealed by God to all the world. And these mysteries concerning Jesus Christ are, are profound. They are very profound. And Paul says that they are great indeed. Other translations even say they are great beyond all question. Not that people haven't questioned the claims about Jesus Christ or even been skeptical about them or even outright not believed in them. But when you look at the evidence, which has now been revealed to us, they are beyond all question. They are great indeed. Why? Because this mystery of Jesus Christ It contains here in this one creed, this little verse here, the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the truth that that we believe. This is the truth that we confess. And as a church, we are now called to uphold this truth in all the world. So what I want us to do for just the next few minutes here is to, to unpack, if you will. Let's unwrap. This beautiful Christmas present is the present of Jesus Christ summarized for us here. And so let us look at the timeless hope of Jesus in this Christmas creed. Number one, we see that Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. This this first line is is a reference to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This is is what we celebrate on this Christmas day. We are celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. This is the mystery of the incarnation, that that the Son of God left heaven and he took on human flesh to become a man. And although Jesus was fully God, he was manifested in the flesh when he was born as a baby. He was not simply half God and half man, but fully God, fully man. He he did not cease to be God, although he laid aside the outward glory of his deity. And as the Apostle John writes in verse 1 or verse 14 of chapter 1 in his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I don't know about you, but we can can scarcely imagine what this means. Perhaps you have stayed in a hotel that felt a, we might say, a little sketchy at times. The standards of the hotel were were way below what you would like. That actually happened to my family and I when uh, we stayed at a local hotel in Goodland, Kansas, in an effort to save a little bit of money on our way to Colorado on a ski trip a few years back. I thought as a good dad, I was being frugal, and I booked a reservation at this hotel, and we get there at 10 o'clock at night, and we're driving through Goodland to the backside of the town. It seemed like we went through an alley, and there is our hotel, and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. We got our keys, and uh, we opened up the door, and my boys walked in and then looked at me like, Dad, what have you gotten us into? My wife was just biting her tongue. She waited till the boys went to sleep and finally said, Bruce, what have you gotten us into here? She didn't even trust the bedsheets were clean. And it was, well, you might say it was a little sketchy that night. We saved some money, though. (laughs) Yet all of that pales in comparison to coming from the, the glories of heaven to being manifested in the flesh for our sakes. And since Jesus was manifested in the flesh, everything he did on this earth, he did in a a real human body. The events leading up to his crucifixion were physical events. His his cheek was kissed by his betrayer. His face was spit upon. His body was beaten and bruised. His, His back was flogged. His head was pierced by thorns. And his 1 Peter 4, verse 1 says, Christ suffered in the flesh. Jesus even died in the flesh. It was a real body that was nailed to the cross. It was a real body that was punished for our sin. And it was a real body that was taken down from the cross, wrapped in linen, and laid in a tomb. Listen, Jesus did not just appear in a body. The body in which he appeared was crucified and buried. However, he did not remain in the grave, which brings us to this second line here. Number two, Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. This second line is likely a, res- a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit confirmed or prove that Jesus Christ is God's own son and the savior of the world by, by raising him miraculously from the dead. Paul writes in Romans 1, verses 3 through 4, Christ Jesus our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. In other words, Christ's supreme vindication came on Easter Sunday morning. Now, I realize that it is Christmas morning, and all the kids here really want to get back home to their presents. And I realize that we adults here, we cannot wait to get home to all the food. But nonetheless, it is a wonderful thing that we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection on this Christmas day, on the day that we celebrate his incarnation. You see, in the resurrection, Jesus was vindicated in all that he claimed to be. As he hung on the cross, it seemed as if none of it were true. But when the tomb was empty, it proved that he was right. In fact, ever since Joe Namath, I'm actually aging myself a little bit there. Ever since Joe Namath, the quarterback guaranteed the Jets were going to win Super Bowl III. Athletes now love to make predictions. I guarantee we're going to win the championship. We're going to win this game and that game. And those predictions really don't mean anything at all. Do you know how often they fell in those predictions? It's, it's quite a lot. But if they're right, they then look vindicated because they said it. But if they're wrong, well, nobody really cares a lot because nobody thinks anything about them being wrong, because many people are wrong, and it doesn't really matter. But remember what Jesus predicted when he was here on this earth. In John chapter 2, verse 19, he said, speaking of his own body, "Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. In other words, kill me in the three days. I will be raised to new life and I will go to my father in glory. Jesus made at that time the most outlandish prediction you could ever make. It was utterly unbelievable. And yet it happened. And now it's believable. What more powerful evidence? could there possibly be that Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the long-awaited Messiah who came to save us from our sins, than the evidence of his resurrection? And then we see here in line number three, where Paul says that Jesus Christ was seen by angels. Angels are those glorious angels supernatural creatures who worship God in heaven and serve him here on earth. We know from the Gospels that some of the angels were were witnesses of the incarnate Christ. Angels sang at his birth. We just read about that in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Angels ministered to Jesus in the wilderness An angel even appeared in the Garden of Gethsemane to to strengthen Jesus for his work on the cross. And angels were also witnesses of the risen Christ. In fact, they were the first to, to tell the disciples that Jesus was alive after seeing the empty tomb and his resurrected body. And finally, angels were even present at Jesus' ascension into heaven. And I think the reason Paul mentions angels here is to show us that the mystery of Jesus Christ is known in heaven above as well as here on earth. And although the angels themselves are not saved by the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ, they still glorify God for our salvation as they are doing even now at this very moment. In fact, the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter 3, 22, that Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And so what we see in this first stanza is we have a summary of Christ's work here on earth, his incarnation his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. What we confess, what we believe is the great mystery of godliness that, that God came down to earth. He died on a cross for our sakes. He was raised to life and ascended into heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And then we come to the second stanza here. Again, the first stanza showed Christ's completed work, and in the second stanza shows the response to that work on earth. And so we see here, number four, Jesus Christ was proclaimed among the nations. Now, Jesus' disciples were the first to receive the commission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, they received that from Christ himself. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to them, And that familiar passage known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he says, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that's exactly what Jesus' disciples began to do. Beginning in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And 2,000 years later, Jesus, do you realize, is still being proclaimed among the nations by his followers. And so what the church of Jesus Christ is doing at this very moment in history is essential to God's plan for the redemption of all peoples. And when you think about that for a moment here, that means that Christmas if rightly understood, leads us to missions. We usually think of Christmas as this time of year when everyone comes home. Most of our favorite Christmas songs, certainly most of our our favorite Christmas movies, focus on this particular aspect of Christmas. Coming home. How many watched Elf this Christmas season? Yeah, like my family, I'm sure most of you did. And even in the movie of Elf, what is the focus of the movie? Well, he's going to New York City. He's going home to find his dad. That's the focus of it. Now, coming home for Christmas is a wonderful thing. In fact, it's very appropriate to think of Christmas as a time of returning home and reconnecting with family and friends. But may I remind you that theologically and even biblically, it's even more appropriate to think of Christmas as a time for going out and sending out. You see, if this first stanza is true about Jesus Christ, and it is, then how can we not Share it. How can we not proclaim these wonderful truths about Jesus Christ? It's incredible, remarkable, it's wonderful. I'm sure most of you have seen those, a December to Remember commercials. Remember those? You've seen that? They didn't really play them a lot this Christmas season, like they have in past years. But you know, it's a commercial where you wake up on Christmas morning you look out your window, and you see this shiny new Lexus car with a big red bow on top, and you say to your spouse and kids, oh, you shouldn't have. Thank you so much. Let me know if this happened to you this morning. I would love to hear that story. When you see that commercial on... I don't know about you, but you probably thought, man, who has that ever happened to? I'd love to meet that person if that's happening. And then you think, where did they get a big, giant red bow like that? But let's, let's pretend for a moment. Let's say that that did happen to you. Let me tell you, this morning, even here in our church, you would be telling everybody about it. You'd be saying, you walk up to somebody and say, you would never believe what I got for Christmas this year. A new Lexus with a giant, big red bow on top. And they'd say, no way, I don't believe you. And then you proceed to tell them, yes, look, it's on my phone. I took a picture. See, there's the proof. Folks, listen, we have a story that is so much more important and so much better and so much more life-changing. How can we not proclaim it among the nations? It's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story of how he has radically changed our lives because he came and died for us. And so like the shepherds did on the night Jesus was born, how can we not share this good news about Jesus? Which then brings us to number five. Jesus Christ was believed on in the world. Wherever Jesus Christ is proclaimed, he is believed on in the world. And the first to believe were the first eyewitnesses of his resurrection. John believed even before he saw the risen Christ. In fact, when he heard that the tomb was empty, he even outran Peter to get there. And when he reached the tomb, after going inside, it says in John 20, verse 8, and he saw and believed. Mary Magdalene believed and told the disciples in John 20, verse 18, I have seen the Lord. They were afraid at first, and and some even doubted, but when Jesus appeared to them, they also believed, and eventually Thomas believed in spite of all his initial doubts. And later on, 3,000 people believed after Peter finished preaching on the day of Pentecost. And, and as the first church in Jerusalem continued to preach about this Christ that we're celebrating today, we are told in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it has been that way ever since Jesus rose from the tomb. Jesus is still believed on in this world. He is still making radical differences in people's life. People are still being born again. And we celebrate that. We pray for that. It's why we exist as a church. Every day, God is still redeeming people from their sin, and he will continue to bring people to salvation in Christ until he comes again. In fact, if you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then this confession, this creed, or this hymn, it is about you as well. It is your story as it is intersected with Christ's story, and how God has redeemed you. If you are in the world, you believe on him, therefore your faith in this Christ child is one proof that Jesus is believed on in the world. And that brings us to this last stanza, Jesus Christ was taken up in glory. This last line, it could refer to Christ's coming again, his second coming and returning in glory. But more than likely, it's it's another echo of Christ's ascension into heaven. In either case, the most important thing is that Jesus has become now the, the glorified Christ. This word glory is the word that the Bible uses quite frequently to describe brightness, splendor or radiance it it represents the the majesty and the supremacy of god himself and so by virtue of his resurrection by virtue of his ascension into heaven jesus is now exalted and enthroned and is now radiating the glory of god in heaven Think about this. If the angels sang in wonder at the at the birth of Jesus Christ when he came down to earth, how they must have sung when he returned to heaven in glory. So, yes, Jesus Christ was, was taken up in glory in his ascension. But do you realize he is also taken up in glory in, in people's hearts as men and women and children across this world? confess Him and believe in Him for their salvation. In other words, as they sing out, as millions are doing, either last night or today, come, let us adore Him. Why? Why do we sing that? Listen, we sing those words because only this person, only Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So it is great indeed that, that we hear this morning that, that we not only believe this, but we confess is the mystery of this godliness. Oh, come. Let us adore him in our hearts and most of all with our lives. What a beautiful, wonderful creed to confess on Christmas Day. The question obviously is, do you believe it? And if so, what difference does it make in your life today? Perhaps this was the this is the first time you've ever even read this creed before. And perhaps this is even the first time you've even confessed this creed as we did at the beginning of the service. But again, the question is, do you believe it? And if so, what difference will it make in your life to believe this grand story of Jesus Christ? Listen, Christmas, it not only marks the the beginning of Christ's life here on earth, Christmas also marks the beginning of a a new way of life for us as Christ followers. What Paul refers to as this way of godliness, which is simply living a God-honoring life. And so Jesus did not come to simply give us a pass on our sin. Like a verbal warning from a police officer. No, no, no. He came. He came to die for our sin. He came to rise from the grave so that we now here could live a godly life free from the bondage of sin. This is why Paul begins by saying, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And this godliness is revealed in none other than his son, Jesus Christ. Paul Tripp writes in his Christmas devotional, Come Let Us Adore Him. Many of you have this devotional as we uh, made it available to you to purchase for your Advent readings or your daily devotional readings. And if you will continue to read in that book, you will read this week of these words here by Paul Tripp. He writes, and I quote, One of the beautiful things about the Christmas story isn't that it doesn't offer just my past forgiveness and future help, but everything I need right here, right now. Jesus came so that I would have everything I need to fight the discouraging battle with private sin. Jesus came so that I would have everything I need to have a peaceful relationship with my angry neighbor. Jesus came so that I could stand against the temptations of racism and prejudice. Jesus came so that I could forge with my spouse a marriage of unity, understanding, and love. Jesus came so that I could parent my children with patient wisdom and grace. Jesus came so that I could face the realities of life in a fallen world without doubt or despair. Jesus came so that I would be granted not only the promise of daily forgiveness, but also the promise of fresh starts and new beginnings. Jesus came so that the hate in my heart Would be replaced with love, and the anger in my heart would be replaced with peace. Folks, this is the difference Jesus makes in our lives when we believe in Him and receive Him by faith. This is the reason that Jesus was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So, oh, come, let us adore him in our hearts and with our lives. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace in Jesus Christ and the salvation we have in Him. May we never grow tired of this good news about Jesus. May we believe it. May we share it. May we be changed by it. And may we uphold it till the end of the age when Jesus returns. It's in His glorious name we pray. Amen.